Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today's show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, concert listings, and they talk about smoking, drinking, and eating pot. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's an energy drink. It's not beer, guys. It's an energy drink. And if it were beer, so what? <laughs> J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. Friday, January 20th, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show's Oh, What a Week. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Donnie's Lawyers Friday, and here's why. All right, we'll get to Oh, What a Week and the mayoral debate. I'm, I'm ready to geek out over that one <laughs> I can't wait. Before we do that, I just got a shout out to Jim Coogan, Ace Attorney, dear friend of the show, comes on and explains legal things to us. This morning at the, some ungodly uh, early hour, like 9.15, uh, I got... <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I just said that to get her. I got a text from Jim Coogan uh, linking me to an article in The Guardian. Uh, this one, I just... Sometimes Trump just cracks me up. He's just so outrageous and ridiculous. Uh, so this one, uh, the headline is Trump and lawyer ordered to pay $1 million for bringing frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. So I'll really boil this, uh, boil it down here. So uh, Trump filed an absolutely ridiculous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton about a year ago, I want to say, uh, where he just took all these unsubstantiated God, I can't even say it, uh, claims that uh, he'd been making against her in the Democratic Party uh, for all, all these years uh, on the campaign stump or at his rallies. And he put him in a lawsuit charging him with this, that, and the other thing. Uh, a judge threw it out. So this is ridiculous. There's just nothing to this. This is just political posturing. It's, there's no legal argument here at all. Well, one of the defendants uh, s- s- counter f- uh, did a counter shot, said, hey, I want money for this. I mean, you can't just use your a lawsuit as a weapon to beat me up. And the judge said, yeah, you're right. And ordered about a million dollars, almost a million dollars. Trump has to pay a million dollars to uh, this defendant uh, anyway, or, or to the one of the litigants. The point is, Trump and his lawyer, uh, this woman, uh, what is her, Haba, who filed the lawsuit are supposed to split the cost or cover the cost together. Trump's already weaseling out. In the article, it said, yeah, Trump's letting it known. He expects the lawyer to pick it up. I'm like, that is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's like, what lawyer in his or her right mind, having seen what happens to lawyers who represent Donald Trump, would ever represent Donald Trump? Hello, Michael Cohen. He warned you. Went to prison for Trump. 
unbelievable. Trump is already trying to stick it to her. He's already going to, yeah, in his mind, he's coming up with, hey, if she, if it was a frivolous lawsuit, she shouldn't have filed it. So she's got to pay it. <laughs> he's going to, she stuck her neck out. Well, I'm not feeling sorry for her. By the way, she's Trump's lawyer uh, in his uh, defamation lawsuit with E. Jean Carroll. Donald Trump is a piece of work, ladies and gentlemen, but I think we all knew that. All right. Without further ado, we're going to turn things over to Dr. D for Oh, What a Week, because I got to leave Trump land and return to Chicago land. Please get out of there. <laughs> it's very scary in Trump land. Frankly, very um, scary, very scary place to be. I just look around the place and I go, wow, what a scary place. It's scary. Excuse me. Excuse me. I owe all that to Jamie Foxx. Excuse me. All right. Without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, with Oh, What a Week It Was. That's just Oh, What a Week. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I said it in the beginning. That's fine. All right. How's it going, everybody? No statewide news today. Sorry, JB. I love you, too. <laughs> Maybe next week, JB Pritzker, we'll have some kind of special for you. But, yeah. people, let's just get right into it, shall we? Ooh, a 2023 Chicago mayoral candidate update. That's right. What a week for the Chicago mayor's race. Thursday night, all the candidates got together and they had themselves a little debate. And yes, I mean all of the candidates. You're bailing out of debate. Days are over, Mayor Lightfoot. You were placed fourth in a poll, for Christ's sakes. By the way, first off, uh, Ben, did you watch the debate? Uh, not live, but I've since watched it, yes. An hour and 30 minutes long. <laughs> Holy crap. I watched the whole thing. I got some clips. We got some audio. We'll just cut the fat and we'll play the stuff that we need to hear. Now, we need to have like a little disclaimer here on the Ben Jarofsky Show before we go over this mayoral debate that happened, all right? We're only here for the insults, okay? So if you want... <laughs> You know, if you want, like, I don't know, uh, all the answers and uh, great policy answers, uh, you may want to go find it on YouTube. The thing's an hour and a half. We're just here for the insults, all right? Okay. Well, glad you got that uh, settled up fast. Oh, you know what I mean? Let's just be honest with them. We laid out our rules. We're only here for the insults. <laughs> Let's hear ABC7's rules. The candidates will each have 45 seconds to answer each question. 45. The first candidate to answer each particular question for that round will get another 30 seconds for a rebuttal if they so choose. At the end of this debate, each candidate will get one minute for a closing statement. The order to respond to the first question was determined by ballot order. That is also how the candidates are positioned with their podiums here in our studio. So let's get right to it. All right, hold on, hold on, before we get started. <laughs> <laughs> you understand those rules, Ben? Yes. And can I just tell you something? Uh, having now uh, moderated two of uh, these, well, they call them forums. This was a debate. Uh, D, if you have dyslexia, like I do, that's no joke. Like just getting those basic things. Uh, that's the scariest part for me about moderating a debate or forum. It's like, oh my God, which one do I call next? Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to blow it because everybody's so, all these candidates are so tense and they're all like worried that another candidate will f get some kind of advantage. Uh, then they'll accuse the moderator of, you know, having a bias when in my case, it's just like, I'm hanging on by a, my fingernails here, not to screw up. So my sympathy to all moderators everywhere when it comes to laying out the terms. 
it is time for question number one. Shout out to ABC7 for all of this audio we are about to play. Please don't sue us for the love of God. It's the last thing we need right now. Okay. <laughs> so let's get right to it. The first question tonight goes to Jamal Green, and it comes from Craig Wall. Craig. Well, crime and public safety are a top concern for many voters, and while murders and shootings have declined over the past year, they are still on the rise and up from where they were three years ago. Many people also still very concerned about carjackings and the random attacks that seem to happen all too often. What is your top priority to make people feel safer? If you want to hear that response from J. Maul Green, you can. Go find it on YouTube. <laughs> the response I want to play from question one, actually, it came from Brandon Johnson, who we got to give him the credit. <laughs> he was the first one to throw a jab. Brandon Johnson, candidate Brandon Johnson, the first one to throw a jab here at the uh, debate. Which candidate did he throw a jab at, you're wondering? Well, how about all of them? Well, this is something that we're feeling all over the city of Chicago. It's a serious problem, and it is very personal. My wife and I were raising our family on the west side of Chicago, and we've recently had to change a, a window from one of the bullets that have come through our home. Now, what you're going to hear on this stage is the same old talking points from 40 years ago that has failed, this so-called toughness. And do you feel any safer? That's why you have to be tough and smart. So I'm calling for what works. Full investment in youth employment. There's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction, mental health care services, and making sure that we're doing everything in our power to invest in communities. Under my administration, we're gonna do what works, and that's investing in people. Brandon Johnson, I was just on the show last week, uh, is a lefty. And if one thing I've tried to teach people about one thing in politics is there's a distinction between lefties and liberals and lefties even in progressives. Progressive is now the new word that liberals call themselves because I guess they were shamed into not being called liberals anymore by Republican tactics. Uh, a, a lefty is someone who believes in a redistribution of uh, services so that the people who are generally left out get more. I believe in that. A lefty is somebody who believes in progressive taxation so that the wealthier you are, the more uh, you pay uh, to for all the services we need. I believe that. Uh, a lefty is someone who believes in collective bargaining rights and union rights, et cetera, and so forth. So you got to, Bernie Sanders is the quintessential lefty. And Brandon Johnson uh, is setting himself out as the lefty in the race. And the fastest way to do that is on the issue of law and order and crime. Because the re typical reaction of politicians when crime goes up is to say more police, more arrests, be tougher. And that, I think, is kind of where most people are in the city of Chicago. They want to be tough, the cops to be tough. And what lefties point out, and you know this because you listen to this show, is that being tough on crime has not worked that there are reasons for crime and you got to deal with those underlying reasons if you really want to bring down the crime rate. Now, folks don't want to hear that when crime is high. Definitely don't. people don't want to hear that if their car has been just carjacked or if they've been mugged or if their house has been broken to or God forbid they've been shot. So it is difficult terrain, to put it mildly, to take that position. But that's the position Brandon's taking to signify to everybody out there in the universe, he is different than all the other candidates. And so if you're lefty, you should vote for him. And D, I think there's enough lefties in the city of Chicago to get Brandon into a runoff. Remember, one more time, people, I've taught you this. 
It's all about making the runoff. No one's going to get more than 50% of the vote in the first round. I think if Brandon gets that lefty vote, and that was the one thing about the Crane survey, which we all we made fun of. I made fun of it in print. I made fun of it on the show. You made fun of it. Uh, it was clearly something out of whack in that survey. Uh, and the listeners have uh, had texted me to say, you know, Ben, they the number of people, white people, that they solicited comments from was higher proportionally than white people in the city of Chicago. Oh. And yet, Brandon was tied with Chewy. So that would suggest that white people in Chicago are open-minded about lefty policies more so than I would ever thought. Uh, and so there may be a lane for Brandon as the sole lefty. If he can really distinguish himself as uh, the person on the left, as opposed to Chewy Garcia, uh, we'll get into that later, uh, to make it to the runoff. And that D is ultimately what it's all about uh, in this campaign. Let's hear from the mayor. Well, of, of course, my primary goal is to make sure that Chicago is the safest big city in the country. And we've made progress uh, year over year, uh, ending uh, down 14 percent in homicides, 20 percent in shootings. But I recognize that people in the city don't feel safe. So we've got to keep um, working on the strategy that we know is making progress, taking the guns out of the hands of criminals, holding violent, dangerous people accountable and making sure that we hire more police. Nine hundred fifty were hired last year. We've hired over 200 uh, detectives. But progress is something that we've got to keep making. We've got to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable. And we've got to listen to the people in neighborhoods who are closest to the challenges because they're closest to the solutions. We'll make the investments that we are necessary to keep our streets safe. Okay. All right. One thing you'll notice, uh, Brandon and uh, Lori Lightfoot, they had to talk fast. Yeah. you got to get everything you want in a minute, 45 seconds. Uh, and there's somebody with the buzzer that's going to shut you. It's not like on the Ben Jarofsky show you can kick back. You know what I mean? And we let you go a little bit. You know, they go, hurry up. And so they're trying to run fast. And so you want to say absolutely everything you have to possibly say, but you have to say it really fast. So nobody really knows what you're talking about. So it's kind of challenging to put it mildly. I don't, my advice is, you know, they, God, once again, I would, my first advice is don't take any advice from me, uh, but you know, slow it down. Maybe only instead of getting 10 points in, get one. Um, look, here's the deal. Lori Lightfoot is the incumbent. And as such, uh, everybody's blaming her for crime in Chicago. Now, is that fair? No, because come on, Chicagoans be consistent from 1990 until 2000 and whenever he left 10 Nobody ever blamed Richard M. Daly for crime in Chicago. Definitely from 90 to 2000. Like most of you Chicagoans, uh, most of you white Chicagoans, we're just so happy that Daly, we have a Daly, no more Harold Washington. We're so happy. You never, crime shootings higher than they are today, ladies and gentlemen. But you never talked about it. You didn't blame Daly. You'd be like, well, you can't blame the mayor. He can't be held accountable for shootings in Chicago. People are crazy. I used to have daily people tell me this. Ben, come on. You can't blame the mayor. He's not the one pulling the trigger. But now it's a little different. So they're all blaming the mayor. And, uh, yeah, she's vulnerable on this uh, subject. We talk about this all the time. The great confrontation uh, between Raymond Lopez and Lori Lightfoot uh, in 2020, May of 2020 or June of 2020, right after the George, Flo George Floyd's murder, when it was clear, when 
Raymond Lopez put it to her directly. What is your strategy? I want an answer. I want an answer. Aside from, uh, you know, the you're full of shit part, that was a, a very uh, important exchange because it showed that there were legitimate concerns and I give Ray Lowe, Ray Lowe credit for raising them about how policing strategies in Chicago uh, and Lori Lightfoot had no answers. And you could say, really be sympathetic to her at that moment in time. Everything was happening so quickly. There was an eruption going on. She couldn't have possibly planned for the reaction to the murder of George, George Floyd. Who could have even known that that would become a huge uh, international issue? So, you know, she was really reacting on, I mean, just overnight, can't plan for it. Uh, but the reality is she's the mayor. She's going to get blamed. And D, that's what's going on in this campaign. Uh, she has to do two different things at once. One, show sympathy for people in Chicago who are legitimately afraid about crime. And two, try to reassure people that it's not as bad as all the other candidates are saying that she has a plan that she is in charge. She can't blame anyone. You get what I'm saying? She can't bl- all the other guys can blame her. Like it's her fault. There's crime in Chicago. If I were the mayor, I would have a different strategy and there would be no crime in Chicago, but she's the mayor. She can't do that. You know, she can't legitimately blame Rom. You know, that he's in Japan right now. Ambassador. So, it's it's a very difficult, awkward position, and you could tell by the way she answered that question. Now, Brandon Johnson does get points for the first jab at all the candidates, but there's a candidate. He's got to get some points here, maybe four or five. I don't know, because he was the first candidate to give the first major blow to the mayor herself. All right, so let's hear from candidate Jamal Green. Yeah, well, I'm trying to figure out how do we continue to allow the mayor uh, to lie about the numbers. That's a Lori We are burn. not down when it comes to before her administration started. Last year, oh, the year before last, it was a 25-year high. So, of course, we're going to have some sort of a decrease. We've had 700-plus homicides for three years in a row under the mayor. And she has not been connected to the neighborhoods or to what's going on on the ground. And we need to stop lying about the numbers and talk about how we're going to have okay. a new administration. All right. I'm going to push back a little with Jay Maul Green. It's not her is quote unquote lying about the numbers is that she's creatively interpreting the numbers. And this is an old game in Chicago politics. Uh, it happens with crime statistics. It happens with school test scores. Uh, and uh, it also happens with the budget where mayors and their PR people just creatively interpret the numbers that they have to make the mayor look as good as possible. So yes, murders are down this year than they were last year. But as J. Maul Green points out, uh, that's because they were at a real high of like, a, I think the highest they've been in the last 10 years or so last year. So we've had this conversation many times with Peter Cunningham. He comes on the show PC. We try to be rational and just move away from the political arena and analyze what's going on in terms of crime in Chicago as dispassionately as we can, a very difficult topic uh, and a very challenging one and try to see, you know, is, are there trends in, shootings and murders and robberies that can teach us what the good policing strategies might be to bring down uh, the crime. All right. 
And so we try to do that with PC. You're not going to do that in a mayoral campaign. There's not going to be like a dispassionate analysis of crime statistics in Chicago in a mayoral campaign. No, the challengers are going to use those statistics to try to make everybody as mad as they can be at Lori Lightfoot by blaming her for it. And she's going to try to use those same statistics to show, to demonstrate, to prove somehow or other that what she's doing is making the city safer. And so that's what that was all about. And I, to Jamal Green's overall point was absolutely a good one and a valid one, which is just to claim a one-year drop when the year before was like the highest in 10 years is not very reassuring. On the other hand, crime goes up and down all the time. And uh, it's not really productive, in my humble opinion, uh, to use uh, statistics this way. Uh, you know what? In a campaign, it, it, it'll help your campaign. It'll hurt somebody else's campaign. But I don't think it'll bring us any closer to having like uh, a policy that may help. All right, everybody, it's time for question number two. Judy, thank you so much. The reality is that residents don't even, don't even feel safe going to work anymore. And just to give you some examples, recently we've been reporting on the alarming robberies that street vendors on Little Village have been suffering at two or three in the morning when they wake up and go to work. Uh, just last week, we reported four robberies of USPS mail carriers. So this is very concerning. My question to you is, what is your plan to protect workers who have to go out on the street, day in and day out, to make ends meet? Sophia King was going to answer, but we're not going to play that because no insults. I mean, what are you here for? You're here for the insults, right? The clip that we are going to go to, actually, once again, Brandon Johnson, who, well, I guess he came in with a strategy, slam every single person that's at the debate. Yeah, what's disappointing about this conversation is that you have politicians and insiders that continue to use the same talking points year after year after year. Well, that's a slam. We spend more on policing per capita than anywhere else in, in the country, and yet we're not safe. But how will you protect Be And so here's how we protect workers, because I'm supported by workers. I am a worker. You actually have to invest in people. It's pretty straightforward. There's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. Here's what we also have to do. We have to make sure that we are providing support on the front lines with mental health care responders because most of the calls that are coming through are mental health crises. We need to relieve the pressure off of law enforcement so they can focus on protecting those vendors. That's All what right. my plan is. And under my leadership, okay. we'll have a better, safer Chicago. Yeah, that is pretty much a repeat of the first go around. And again, Brandon Johnson is uh, are putting the heavy accent on what distinguishes him from the others. And I got to tell you, I don't know if that one worked so well in the setting. Uh, because it was the very specific question about a frightening prospect, you're going to work, it's early morning, probably dark out, and you're mugged. And people, I think, want to hear a law and order response to that. And I'm very sympathetic to the argument that Brandon is putting forth again in that moment, that there are holistic responses to the problems of crime. But I think with that direct response, people need to hear Brandon assure them that he understands the fear people might have, 
uh, the hurt that people might have. And he did a little bit of that with the first question, D, where he talked about how he's in Austin and a bullet came through his window. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think he lost it there on that, on that particular response. And I've had this conversation many times with guests on the show about the lefts talking about crime and the struggle to talk about crime because people on the left are often, they don't want to continually vilify the same people who've been vilified all along. But at a certain point, people want reassurance. You're a mailman, you're a mail carrier, you're going out in the street, you don't want to be held up, you know? And I, I kind of like relate very much because there's a lot of mailmen in my family. And I was one for a while. So I was like, yeah, that's not good to have mail carriers getting held up. I'm just saying, you know, you need some kind of assurance that the candidate, even if they have the holistic view of the prime of crime, the problem with crime and punishment, understands how terrifying it is, or frightening or scary, whatever your word is, uh, to have to go to try to go to go to work in the morning and possibly be the victim of a crime. So that's kind of my attitude. Again, he's trying to distinguish himself, differentiate himself from everybody else on the stage. But he also has to worry about not looking callous. Let's hear from the mayor and her response. Let me answer the question directly. Okay. You ask about what we are doing with the vendors in Little Village. We've been in Little Village working with those vendors, hand in glove, to make sure that they are doing things that they can do to protect themselves, uh, like not using cash, um, making sure that the cash that they do take in is secure. But I'll tell you the thing that we don't do. We don't protect workers. We don't protect residents by blaming the police for not showing up, for not making arrests, for not responding to calls. You've heard a lot of rhetoric here, a lot of sound bites, but not a lot of concrete solutions on how we get the job done and make our residents and our workers safe. We're doing it you every single day. I think the follow up is and your solution is. I just explained it. We have been in Little Village working with those street vendors, understanding what the nature of the crime is, making sure that we're doing things in concert with them okay. to help them uh, 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 make sure that their money is secure, not use money, if at all possible, using um, okay. other forms of transactions to take care of themselves. But fundamentally, we, have we don't do it by we, blaming we do have the police, on. as you've heard over we and over again. We have to move on to our next candidate. That is, uh, that's a classic moment for an incumbent. Uh, so... The question is, what are you going to do to solve the problem? And her response is, I've already implemented things that will solve the problem. And then she pivots. And her the point she wants to make and is to sort of attack Brandon, although she didn't name him. But she wants to uh, go back to the defund the police model of counterattack uh, in which Anybody who criticizes the police is viewed as a defund the policer or a defunder the policer. However, that is should be phrased. Uh, and so she wants to like play that card. And she's doing that in the context of a question about a very specific series of crimes. And so the questionnaire, here's the second part and responds, well, what's your solution? And then Lori Lightfoot says, well, I already told you my solution. And then I did a pivot, <laughs> although she didn't say I did a pivot. 
But if she was honest, she would say, well, I, I gave you a really abbreviated form of a solution to sort of assure you that I have a solution, even though, frankly, I don't have a solution and I want to say something else. Nobody in this stage has a solution because nobody knows what to do about crime. No matter anything we do about crime is going to be wrong in some way or another. Unless, of course, we do what Brandon says we should do, which is invest heavily in people with job education and mental health. But we don't have enough money for that because we're all afraid to tax people. And every time we raise the property tax, people go berserk like that nutcase on the microphone overlooking the alley. So there's nothing we can do except That's talk you. really fast. That's you. That's you, by the way. <laughs> or anyone who didn't that he's talking about. Ben. So there are no solutions. OK, there you go. But. You know, she hurries up and gives the supposed solution, which kind of sounds like you're blaming the people. Uh, if you didn't carry cash, no one would hold you up. Well, I, I <laughs> what do you think it's going to be like? Just let's pause and think about that for a moment. So they're not carrying cash. So like all these people who do holdups are going to start holding them up and then the word will get out. Guys, they're not carrying cash anymore. I did 10 holdups yesterday. Usually I can pull away, I don't know, $1,000 from these holdups. I only got $20. So it's really not worth your while to hold up people in little. Is that the answer? I mean, I don't. I mean, it's like this really kind of a non-answer solution. I'm just saying, D. And the, so the poor. There you go. If you ever have to moderate these debates and you come back and try to hold them accountable, as opposed to moderating a forum where you, they, whatever they say goes. Uh, so that questionnaire is trying to pin the mayor down. I already gave you a solution. My solution is don't bring cash. Okay, that's my solution. <laughs> Maybe they should like put a sign up. We're not carrying cash. No cash. Like, you know, walk down the street. I'm not carrying any cash. Don't hold me up. I think like a, a robber would believe it. You know what I'm saying, D? Like if you walk down the street, I'm broke. I have no money. First Don't hold me up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you can try. It's worth a shot. <laughs> Oh my God. I don't get everybody feeling secure. We, this is what we did. It's your fault. You're walking around with money and that's the reason people are robbing you. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. We are doing our 2023 Chicago mayoral candidate debate in review people. It's time for question number three. Young people in Chicago have faced a lot of trauma, gun violence, a global pandemic, and learning loss because of that. Schools across the country are seeing an uptick in disruptive behaviors. Teachers report some younger students are two grades behind socially in school. The U.S. Surgeon General says our youth is facing unprecedented mental health challenges. So the question is, what is your plan to address youth mental health? Cam Buckner for... If you want to hear Cam Buckner's response, you're going to have to go to YouTube. The response I want to play from this... Okay, it's Brandon Johnson again. Last time, well, the last two times, he slammed all the candidates. This time, eh, just Paul Vallis. We're going to go to Brandon Johnson, then Paul Vallis, then Lori Lightfoot. It's a trifecta. Thank you. Brandon Johnson, same question, youth mental health. Yeah, well, as a public school teacher, I've seen firsthand what disinvestment looks like and the impact of traumatized communities. <clears throat> when Paul Vallis was in charge of public schools, he further stratified our school district leaving our schools without the necessary support that they, that they need. And so that's why the Treatment Not Trauma movement is supporting my candidacy, to make sure that we actually have frontline workers to respond to the crises. We also have to reopen our mental health clinics. Look, I've had a brother who died from untreated trauma and he was unhoused. Under my administration, we're gonna have better support for not just our young people, but for our communities as a whole to deal with the untreated trauma <clears throat> that unfortunately, past administrations have neglected. Okay. I won't. 
All right. Thank you. Paul Vallis, 45 seconds. Well, Dr. Johnson continues to confuse me with other superintendents. Look, this is <laughs> what we need Johnson. to do. We spend $30,000 per child in the Chicago public schools. Only 60% of the money finds its way into the local schools, into the local classrooms. The bottom line is we've got to really significantly reduce the size of the central office, decentralize the district, push the money down to local school levels. We've got to open all of our campuses and invite community-based organizations, healthcare services, mental health services onto the campuses so that the campuses can be open through the dinner hour, on weekends, over the summer, during the holidays, so the kids are engaged. And we've got to create work-study, high school work-study opportunities for these children so they can get engaged Every city agency, department, contractor, vendor who has a contract with the city could create those jobs. Those are the things we need to do. Okay, thank you. Youth Mental Health, Lori Lightfoot. Well, look, our young people were traumatized before the pandemic, and that got exacerbated during the pandemic, which is why we increased funding for mental health across our city sevenfold. We are now serving 60,000 people a year, and when I came into office, we were serving 2,500. We are um, making sure for the first time ever that we're serving young people and children. We're in every single one of our 77 neighborhoods. We've increased the number of social workers in schools. We met our contractual obligations with the CTU. Uh, Mr. Vallis talks about things that we should do. I agree. We're doing them actually right now. No, we're not. I, 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 I just know we're not. And I'm going to say it. Nobody cares about traumatized youth in the city of Chicago, the powers that be that run this city. They don't care. Mayor Rahm Emanuel closed those six mental health clinics in high crime areas back in 2011 budget. It was passed 50 to nothing by the alderman in the city council, 50 to nothing. And there was an outcry from mental health advocates and they were ignored. Mayor Rahm wouldn't even meet with them. They'd come demand. They would sit, they'd sit in his office. He ran out the back door rather than meet with them. 50 to nothing. The alderman voted to close those clinics as part of that budget. At the same time, the city was offering, it was uh, Ray Rama's tag teaming with the state to give uh a handout to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the big brokerage firms. So don't tell me that we're doing everything we can. In 2019, the Chicago uh, Public, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike over the issue of social workers and nurses. And what did the powers that be tell them? Shut up, take the razor offering, and go back to the classroom. That's what they said. The editorials in the Sun-Times and Tribune said that. Those are the employees who would be dealing with the issues of mental trauma, mental illness and trauma. City of Chicago does not care about the trauma of poor people. If they did, they would spend more money and resources on it. They want to move poor people out of the city of Chicago. That's the plan in the city I've been seeing since I moved here. We were talking about this with Mark Sims yesterday. So here we are. Uh, in the middle of a crime, I don't even call it a crime wave, a spike in crime, probably related, as I've said many times, to uh, the lockdown from the pandemic. We don't know. But we're in the middle of this. Everybody's upset and outraged. They want something to be done. And generally, that means hiring more police, paying more money uh, to patrol the police, locking more people up, and Brandon Johnson is pointing out, <laughs> not sure you can get elected pointing this out, Brandon. I'm just saying that we need, if we're, go if, if we're going to view crime as a byproduct in part of 
mental illness and trauma and desperation and having uh, no jobs, et cetera, no youth training, whatever, schools meaningless, you're alienated from society. If we're going to take that approach, it's going to cost money to deal with that. And realistically, I don't see a lot of, what do I say, political will in this town to spend more money uh, helping poor people deal with the trauma of life. That's reality, D. Uh, I don't see it. We're in the middle of a campaign. And listen, everything Paul Vallis said is absolutely true. That's what the city needs. But I'm not certain Paul Vallis would come through with that. You know, Paul Vallis was a servant for Richard uh, M. Daly. He was a uh, the revenue director for Daly. And uh, he was the head of the Chicago Public Schools. They could have done that in the days of Daly. They didn't. So now he says that's what he wants. Listen, I agree with everything he said. That's what we should do. There should be that kind of initiative. There should be that kind of determination. It should be like, like remember when Chicago wanted a, the Olympics? How everybody got on board for that? And remember when Chicago wanted Amazon? How everybody got on board for that? Except for me. And except for me in the first case. <laughs> the weirdo in the attic. Why don't we have the same kind of everybody on board to do what Paul Vallis suggested? Because not everybody's on board for that. Mayor Rahm sat down with Karen Lewis right after he got elected, and he told her, what did he say? Like 20, 25% of the kids in Chicago aren't going to amount to anything anyway, so it's not worth investing in them. He later denied he said it. I don't think anybody believed him. And I think that is somewhere the attitude that prevails in this city. Ultimately, it's not worth it. Let's move them out. So I don't blame Brandon counterpunching there but I gotta give Vallis credit much I have to say his response D that's I believe what we need whether he could deliver or will deliver as mayor is a whole other issue but I have to say that's what we need we're moving on to the next question our next question goes to Brandon Johnson first here and once again Enrique Rodriguez we have all witnessed how Chicago has welcomed with open arms thousands of migrants from the Texas border and uh, we have also seen how the city continues to struggle to provide the care that they need. Now, in addition to that, some residents in Woodland express opposition to a potential shelter site. Uh, today, uh, we learned that the legislation assigned $20 million for this effort. However, the governor also made it clear that as of February 1st, there will not be any more funding for this. So I wanna ask you, how will you get the money to continue caring for these migrants in a responsible human way without affecting the resources that are needed for local residents. All right, before we play the response, if you haven't learned yet, this really was kind of a showdown between Brandon Johnson, Paul Vallis, and Lori Lightfoot. We're going to go to Brandon Johnson first. Brandon Johnson. Yeah, well, thank you for the question. First of all, let me just correct. Paul Vallis called me Dr. Johnson, which increased my student loans by $100,000. <laughs> but the, let's just be clear about this, though. We are seeing a sick culture of states across this country that are using real lives as a political football. And that's why I'm committed to making sure that we are collaborating with the state, the federal government, the county government to provide the necessary support for the families who are, who are seeking safety here. 
But we also have to make sure that those who are here, who want and need those investments, that we're not pitting communities against one another. Under my administration, we can protect those who are here while also encouraging folks who want support and safety, that we can provide that for the families who are seeking support okay. um, in the city of Chicago. Paul Vallis, 45 well, seconds. Uh, you know, the first thing is to stop baiting other governors and start grandstanding. I mean, you can't basically grandstand and say, we're a sanctuary city, we're inviting everybody in, and then not have a plan to, for dealing with people when they do come in. Our approach during the Chicago public school years that Gary Chico and I were basically operating the schools was to really accept children, regardless of who they were, where their background was, support their families if they needed it, extend all the services in kind of a natural way without having press conferences and without basically making them the focus. So it's, we can comfortably integrate individuals who come back into the city. But when you're grandstanding, you're promoting, you're going into communities and suddenly just dictating to them that you're going to provide these shelters, you know, we have to have a plan, first of all, and we have to integrate them into the services. That's your time. And Lori Lightfoot. I think I just heard Paul Vallis say that we should not call out racist, xenophobic practices of governors like Greg Abbott who are treating migrants like freight. Well, that may be your idea of a welcoming city. It's not my idea. And it's not the idea of people uh, across the city who understand that we've got to stand up and live our values every single day. And that's exactly what we've been doing. And the $20 million we're going to put to use. And what the governor and the legislature said is also go after, in which we are, the money from the federal government. But fundamentally, it's inhumane to parole people into this country and not allow them the right to work. We are continuing to push the federal government to do the right thing and issue work permits so these people can take care of themselves and live okay. independently. Thank you. Roderick. Man, I got to give Laura Life for credit. That was a quick counterpunch. I was feeling the same thing when I listened to Paul Vallis. And uh, so this is what you should need, need to know about Paul Vallis one more time. This is a race for the runoff. You got to get to the runoff. You got to find your lane and uh, get in that lane. Get your voters. <laughs> That'll get you whatever, whatever it is, 20%. I, I don't know to get to the runoff. Paul Vallis is going after the MAGA vote in Chicago. I don't blame him. It's a significant, it's a, it's a, it's a smart political move. I'm not talking about whether I agree with it uh, ideologically. It's just a smart political move. Donald Trump gets like 15 to 16%. Uh, Bruce Rauner got about 15 to 16%. DB, Darren Bailey, the big fella, got about 15 to 16% of the vote in Chicago. That's Paul Vallis's vote. So he has to walk a fine line. He can't go all to MAGA, all right, uh, and uh, wear a Donald Trump T-shirt like Johnny Catanzara from the Fraternal Order of Police, but he has to reassure the MAGA people in the Chicago that he's with them. So what he did there was he sided with Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis against Lori Lightfoot. Like she's the, the, the grandstander. Oh, they're not grandstanders? Sending <laughs> my busloads of migrants continually to Chicago, to Boston, to New York, to Washington, to Kamala Harris's home in Washington? They're not the grandstanders? No, he's making Lori Lightfoot the grandstanders. That'll get him the MAGA vote. So. That's what he's thinking. To get to that runoff, he's going to go MAGA on that question. It'll hurt him once he, if he is in the runoff in the general, but he's not worried about that. He's just got to get there. Uh, so obviously this is, this is a situation that needs uh, help from the feds. Joe Biden has got to be helping all the cities, those Democratic cities, those blue cities, they're getting busloads of people. Now, 
you can't the the cities themselves can't do it on their own. And so I think that the smart question, the way to do deal with this question uh, is to pivot and put the pressure on the feds to kick them some money to, to, to Chicago. Uh, and in terms of what was had been going on in Woodlawn, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration totally dropped the ball in there. If you're going to ask any community to take a school like they were doing in Woodlawn and turn it into uh, a sanctuary center for uh, the people coming in on the buses from Texas, you got to at least let the community know what you're up to. It is like, this is a challenge. Not everybody's 100% behind it. So I uh, I think that Vallis was playing the MAGA move uh, when he made that uh, grandstanding comment and Lori Lightfoot pounded him with it. But again, he had a point. Not always a lot of great planning, to put it mildly. We're going to do one more question, the lightning round, and closing remarks. How's that sound, Ben? Sounds good. All right, my man, here we go. On to the next question. Shout out to ABC7, and thank you for joining us on our 2023 Chicago mayoral debate and review. We move on to our next round here, and Paul Vallis will be the first to answer for this round. ABC7 recently reported that rent in the city is up more than 10% for a one-bedroom apartment. Many viewers tell us they're seeing hikes much, much higher than that. There are ongoing struggles with gentrification, longtime residents feeling simply priced out of their homes. In Chicago, the approval of affordable housing essentially falls under the purview of aldermanic prerogative. Many times that means not in my backyard. So here's the question. What would you do as mayor to improve affordable housing? Paul Vallis. Actually, we're not going to Paul Vallis. Answer was a little boring, Paul. Sorry, you didn't insult anybody. But I heard like three Ben Jarofsky trigger words in this question. So... We're going to play Mayor Lori Lightfoot's response. And Ben, you're just going to let it rip. Well, I can tell you what we've specifically done. A $1 billion commitment to affordable housing, the largest commitment in the history of the city. We have brought already, um, in my term, almost 16,000 new units of affordable housing online. We have uh, worked to address the issues of displacement from development, um, for example, in Woodlawn, where we put together a fund for $10 million to help long-term homeowners, and we have stabilized the rents there so long-term renters in that same neighborhood um, can stay. The same thing that we've done in Humboldt Park, and we've learned the lessons from the past administration that let market rates and forces drive people out of neighborhoods. We are working on these issues. We're pushing monies out from the emergency rental assistance and a number of other things that we've done, concrete, tangible things to help on affordable housing. Thank you. All right, God, there's so much for me to riff on here. I don't even know where to uh, start. <laughs> I guess I'll start with alderman and prerogative. I disagree with the premise of the question. Alderman and prerogative is not the reason. The alderman and prerogative is a scapegoat that Lori Lightfoot created uh, in uh, that was very successful for her in 2019 uh, when she was running for office. Blame everything on individual aldermen. <laughs> It's their prerogative, like they're the all-powerful people who rule everything in their awards. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people bought into it. The left bought into it, fell for that one, a hook, line, and sinker. And uh, it helped her win election. Uh, if I were her advisor, and again, the first piece of advice is never listen to anything that I offer in terms of advice. But if I were her advisor, I'd say, all right, drop it. Because now you got to get along with these aldermen. But no, she kept that bad at that first and that inaugural address, bashing aldermen and prerogative, bashing the aldermen. Uh, and they've been hating her ever since. Uh, Alderman prerogative is completely fictitious. 
I cannot think of one initiative uh, in the uh, definitely in the post Harold Washington era in which the city council sided with a local alderman over uh, the mayor. And definitely that was the case with Daly and Rahm. So that was the story coming in the mayor, Lori Lightfoot's term. There may have been one or two since Lori Lightfoot uh, took office, but I can't even think of one of even Lori Lightfoot. It's just a myth. And uh, it's usually, it emerges from a struggle that happened, I think in like 2018 or 2017 in the Northwest side where Anthony Napolitano uh, opposed successfully the creation of affordable housing in his ward. Uh, and the other alderman went along with him. And the other reason the other alderman went along with him is because Mayor Rahm signaled they were free to vote however they want. If Mayor Rahm wanted to, that low-income housing in the, uh, uh, the 41st Ward, they would have voted with Mayor Rahm, just like they voted with Mayor Daley uh, when it came to uh, the Children's Museum against Brendan Riley, and just the way they voted with Mayor Rahm when it came to the President's TIF deal, uh, again with Brendan Riley. So alderman and prerogative is a freaking myth. It's not the reason why we don't have affordable housing in the city of Chicago. We don't have affordable housing in the city of Chicago, again, because the chief planning policy of this city, going back to the daily years, is to gentrify Chicago, move poor people out of Chicago, replace poor people with wealthy people. Duh! <laughs> and the chief, the chief way they do that is the property tax. The rising property taxes force people to sell their homes, long-term, uh, long-time homeowners whose income bears no relation to the property tax they're having to pay. They purchased their home when it was before the gentrification. Now property taxes reflect home sales, which are much higher because of wealthier people are moving in along some old geezer who lives in his home since 1985. And I'm thinking of a certain guy who talks into a microphone a lot. They're... <laughs> They're broke ass. We're not like the new neighbors that are coming in. <laughs> you know, the property tax bears no relation to our income. But nobody's ever moves to reform the property tax. Why? Oh, my God. We could do a whole show on that. And I probably will do a whole show on that. Many reasons. I'll put at the top of the list. There's a huge industry of lawyers including one time Michael Joseph Madigan, a whole industry that makes, <laughs> that makes money with the appeals. You got County assessor with a whole bunch of people on the payroll. It's a whole department making money off the whole slimy mess. And of course, it's how you fund the schools. Kind of like a model, like the, we're, we're heading toward the, like the, I, the like Winnetka model. And the Winnetka model is if you live in Winnetka, you can afford to pay high property taxes and you feel okay about it because it's going to fund your school, Nutra High School. That's where you want to send your kids. So kind of the message that Mayor Daly sent, Mayor Rahm sent, not so much Mayor Lightfoot, but the message they sent was to well-to-do people who are moving on the north side. Hey, you know, you can have like a mini Wilmette. You could have your neighborhood school. You could send your kid to school. It's a lot cheaper than going to Parker. It's a lot cheaper than going to Lab. You know, your property taxes go up, but you pay for your schools. Well, maybe it's forcing everybody else out of the city. But, you know, that's good because ultimately there'll be more people like you. So the reason there's not going to be a solution to gentrification brought on by property tax because the city wants gentrification. 
But it's always interesting to, to listen to their responses, like they really care. I have no idea if Lori Lightfoot has actually created 16,000. I think that's the number she gave. 16. <laughs> you can see what Dennis just did, ladies. If, I have no idea. That's me. One of those facts. You know, if it was Trump, they'd be immediately fact checking it. You know, you know how they fact checked everything he did. Because uh, I, I haven't seen a fact check on whether she's actually created it. Uh, but it's the notion that Alderman and prerogative. Uh, has anything to do with the housing crisis in the city of Chicago uh, is, to put it mildly, a huge exaggeration. It's time for the lightning round. We are now actually getting close to the end of this debate. I know it's hard to believe, but we do have time for a quick lightning round here. You will each now have only 15 seconds to answer this question, and there will be no time for rebuttal. And we will continue in ballot order, starting with Jamal Green. And here is the question. The Chicago Bears appear to be solidifying plans to move to Arlington Heights. What are you willing to do, if anything, to keep the Bears in Chicago? Jamal Green. Well, my family are Bears fans, um, and they called me and said, keep the Bears here. Um, But, you know, of course, they've already signed a deal. We would bring them to the table, um, but our priority would be city finance. Okay. Sophia King. Definitely need to keep the Bears here, and they haven't signed that deal yet. So we need to keep them here. Either way, where the Bears are in Arlington or Chicago, they need state funds. It is more economically viable for them okay. to be here so that they can make money Cam, on a daily Cam Buckner. basis Cam and Buckner. not just on game day. There, there won't be state funds going to Soldier Field or to keep the Bears in Chicago. I'm going to take that right now. And I fought in Springfield to protect the people of Chicago from that happening. Um, the Bears, I would love to see them play here, uh, and I would love to come okay. to the table with them. But if they can't, then... Lightning round, so we move fast. Willie Wilson. Uh, Semper. Bring another team here. (laughs) Okay, Brandon Johnson. Uh, Listen, we have to listen and be prepared to negotiate. As I said, I come from a very large family of 10. I certainly learned how to negotiate when you're in a house with only one bathroom. Okay, Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis. I think think the Arlington deal is too profitable. We blew it. We had an opportunity to negotiate with them. We didn't. You you can't insult them and then bring them back to the negotiating table. Lori Lightfoot. We're not done yet. We're not letting the Bears go. We're going to fight fight, fight to keep them in Soldier Field. We've got a plan that we presented. I think they're interested. We're going to keep talking. Roderick Sawyer. I'm a fan, but unless you can put 20 to 30,000 additional people in those stands, I don't think it can work. Okay, Chewy Garcia. It's time for the Hail Mary Pass. Bears, if you're listening, let's talk. Let's talk about other locations in Chicago as well. Okay. Well, we now turn to the final portion. There you go. Oh, God. (laughs) This is like raw meat for me. First of all, Paul Vallis. Now, I know you want to blame everything on Lori Lightfoot and act like every question, uh, there was a solution that would have been implemented if you were mayor. That's like your strategy in this thing. But come on, Paul. Known you for a long time now. We could we blew it. What did you blew it? Your guy, Mayor Daly, gave the signed this. Deal with the Bears, $600 million at least, taxpayers' money, fixing up Soldier Field. They loved it back then. Now, we blew it? What? What were we supposed to do, Paul? Give them even more money? We didn't blow anything. The Bears and the city signed up with a dumb deal to redo Soldier Field back in 2002 or whatever that was, wasting money that would be better spent on other things. And now they don't want Soldier Field. They got a better deal in Arlington Heights. Good riddance, go. They don't want to be here. They don't have any allegiance to the city of Chicago. 
We don't get anything benefit from having the Bears here. They only play eight games a year. They haven't been in a playoff since, uh, I guess they were in a, play- a playoff last year because everybody was in. It was like AYSO soccer, you know, on the lakefront where everybody gets a ribbon. That's what it was like when the Bears last made the play. They're a terrible team on the field. If there was any meritocracy in the world, they would not get we would be embarrassed to be talking about giving them money. I wish somebody would answer the question that way. And I say this is a long time Chicago Bears fan, and Lee Allen Jones will be coming over on the show in a couple of weeks to argue about how on the the team itself is going to be better. All right, I give him credit for hiring Kevin Warren, and I give him credit for hiring Ryan Pace, et cetera, and so forth. But they don't deserve one nickel. They're under a lease deal with us in which uh, we paid, we, the suckers of Chicago, $600 million or whatever, to redo Soldier Field. And now they don't like it? Well, make good on your lease deal. God damn. You know, everybody, all these mayors are so tough. They're so tough. We're going to throw this criminal in jail. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. But when it comes to the Bears, oh, I'm Paul Vallis. I want to give you more money than you already That sounded nothing like Paul Vallis. I've been hearing him here for the last, that sounded nothing like him. Come on, Paul. (laughs) We blew it. We blew it. That, I don't know. That one really got to me. Uh, And then, you know, but I'll give uh, Chewy Garcia credit. There's a lot of vacant land in the city of Chicago. You want to build a stadium, you could build a stadium and something. There's a ton of vacant land. You know what, D, if the whole thing blows blows up in Arlington Heights, which is anything's possible, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to cut their deal. I think those suckers, I mean, the citizens of Arlington Heights <laughs> will subsidize them with a tip deal. And, you know, God bless you guys at Arlington Heights. You want to raise your property taxes and give it to the Bears, go ahead. Knock yourself out. Not my business. And I'm, thank you, Cam Buckner, from pushing for legislation that keeps the state from kicking any money. Let them... Arlington Heights people pay for it with their TIF handout. Already the Bears are talking that way, by the way. They're like, we they 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 phrase it like uh, we have some property tax issues we have to deal with. Yeah, like to avoid paying them. That's your property tax issue. But it's Arlington Heights problem, not my problem. As a homeowner in the city of Chicago whose property taxes are soaring thanks to gentrification and our insane property tax system. Why we don't go to acquisition base, I'll never know. Oh, I do know. We have an industry to support. Forget I said that. So it's Arlington Heights' problem. I wish one of the candidates had said, you know what? It's not our problem. Arlington Heights gets that crummy team. And, yeah, they suck. I wish they had said that. Hell of an offensive line this year, Chicago Bears. Willie Wilson sort of said it. He's like, a new team. New team? Willie, what team is coming to Chicago? Now, come on. I, there were the Chicago Cardinals. I'm the only one who knows that. There was a team in Chicago. Did you do all that? Oh, I, know, the, I remember you, they moved to St. Louis. They had the St. Louis did. Cardinals. Yes, they moved from Chicago to St. Louis. Jim Hart was their quarterback. Oh, Reset, 2020. Gen Z, we love you. Hang tight. <laughs> Jim Hart. It's only a baby boomer we remember Jim Hart. And now they're in Arizona. So, you know, these football teams don't have a lot of a I don't know. Willie, uh, I don't know where you got that one. You're not getting another team that's coming. You got the Chicago Bears. They'll be the Arlington Heights Bears. They should call themselves the Arlington Heights Bears, by the way. You love Arlington Heights so much. Make take that as your name. No, oh, Chicagoans everywhere. And they can. <laughs> Chicagoans get all fired up. For those wondering, like we didn't play a lot of Chewy Garcia clips here. Uh, that really was the moment from Bears, Chewy. if you're listening, let's talk. Let's talk about other locations in Chicago as well. 
Oh, yeah. That was like uh, the highlight for Chewy, really. Right now, I got Chewy in the runoff. Uh, the name, that, that, you know, D, it's like 35. Let's just remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Ben Jarofsky Show listeners are obsessive political geeks. You're different than most of your neighbors. Most of your neighbors won't even vote. 35% of the city at best will vote of the registered voters. That means, let's do the math, to carry the one. 65% won't vote. So, you know, everybody always like, Chewy Garcia. Yeah, I think I'll vote for Chewy. It's like his time. So that's why I put him, I guess, I guess it shows I have a low estimation of Chicago voters. I apologize for that. Uh, but I right now have him uh, in uh, the runoff, so he doesn't really have to answer any questions. It is time for our closing statements. Your 2023 Chicago mayoral candidate debate in review. But before we get to that, we want to remind everybody, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com, or wherever else you find podcasts. Ben, who's on the lineup this weekend? Great interview with Juanita Irizarry from Friends of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, we took a park, a couple of park district deals, Soldier Field, we talked Soldier Field, we talked uh, NASCAR, uh, and then really took the deep dive on uh, <laughs> the construction in Humboldt Park, the park, Humboldt Park. All I can say is uh, that's much listened to. Ramana Hussein, we're going to do that in about an hour. We're fired up uh, to talk a little uh, George Santos. Uh, and then a good interview with old friend Lenny Mana Hopperworth, who's running for Alder Woman uh, in the 48th Ward. So lots of political talk coming up uh, over the weekend. Okay, each candidate will get one minute now to provide a closing statement. Now we are going in reverse ballot order, starting with Chewy Garcia, just to my right, one minute. I love Chicago. Chicago is the city that welcomed me as a nine-year-old boy with my family. It's why I became a public servant. Being in positions that people elected me to and place responsibility has enabled me to deliver and to place them first. Chicago is at a critical juncture. I want to lead this city over the next four years because we can reassume our position as a world-class city, but do it with a unprecedented level of equity and inclusion of all people. Sawyer, I'm a Chicagoan who wants what most Chicagoans want high-performing schools, uh, robust business district, stable housing, and uh, I want to feel and be safe. Now, Chicagoans, you're about to make a decision come election day to decide what type of leader is gonna get us there. I'm that leader. I'm that leader because I understand the importance of service. Service that was in the, it's brought to me by my parents, my mother, Celeste, who taught me to study, to show thyself approved unto God and my father, Mayor Eugene Sawyer, who showed me how important service is to your family, your committee, your community, and your city. I've been serving the city for 12 years, working on some of the toughest issues, including leading in uh, public safety reform. I am not only the person that has the most current and relevant city government experience, I'm the one that has the drive and determination, the composure, and the vision to see the city go to new heights to a point where okay. you will also say, I am a Chicagoan. Lori Lightfoot. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm seeking your vote and your trust for four more years because we have started to change Chicago around for the better. We've been through life together in these last four years. You've opened up your homes, your hearts, your pain, but importantly, 
your hope. The hope and resilience that's gotten us through some of the toughest times that we have ever faced in the city of Chicago. The hope that's made us resilient, that's made our small businesses grow, our economies thrive. And what do you say we just moved to Paul Vallis, huh? That'd be good. The fact that we are now the highest taxed city among big cities in the country is a product of bad decisions from the fifth floor. And they didn't begin with the current mayor, but clearly they have gotten worse. The city needs the type of leadership and the type of leader who can come in and assemble a leadership team, a management team, drawing from the diverse community. Yeah, that's great. Brandon Johnson. And I've done it as an organizer, <laughs> fighting for an elected representative school board. We did that together. Fighting to end school privatization. We did that together. As Cook County Commissioner, <clears throat> I've invested millions of dollars into violence prevention programs to keep our community safe. No matter what. That sounds wonderful. How about Willie Wilson? Help bring more business in, keep the ones here, keep families here. We will get a situation that nobody has to be worried about high taxes. We'll be tough on crime. We'll move all the restriction things from our police officers. Excellent. Officer. Camp Buckner. But first, we have to get these dark days behind us. That's why tonight I'm asking for your support so we can begin the work together to fix Chicago, not just for the next election, but for the next generation. Sophia King! understands how to represent the entire city and not just segregated parts of it. I represent from downtown to Hyde Park with Bronzeville in the middle. And because of this unwieldy crime, the number one request we get is for more police presence. And Jamal Green. The hope, the hope of the countless mothers that I've stood next to for years that have lost their kid to gun violence, trying to make sure that they can end gun violence on our streets. The hope of a young boy from the south side of Chicago who came from nothing that will go on to be the youngest mayor of a large city in this country. There is still hope. Hope in the face of carjackings, hope in the face of struggle and violence, hope in the face of corruption. I see the hope in your children and in mine and Jamal Jr., Jalen and Jaden. And we are going to bring this city together and create a future that we can all believe in together. If you remember that verse of scripture that talks about a future. Yeah, I think we're good there. There you go. And that was your 2023 Chicago mayoral debate. In review, Ben, who do you think had the upper hand in this thing? Truly. You know, uh, Patrick J. Whalen and I had a uh, conversation about it. He called me and asked me uh, the same question. And I, uh, when I, my response was, sounds like a duck in a dodge. But, I mean, it's like, did anybody, this is my response, did anybody emerge from this debate with a greater chunk of the vote than they entered it? And my answer is no. Nobody did. So I can't say that anybody did any much better or worse than anyone else. I just got to throw that out there. Uh, I believe when it comes to just figuring out who is the front runner, we don't know nothing. I believe that when it comes to identifying one particular candidate, who just seems absolutely in the right moment to capture the zeitgeist of the time and emerge as our next leader. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Do you? No, no. To quote Larry David. So that you may call that a duck and a dodge, but I don't think any of them emerged that much better than anyone else. Definitely calling that a duck and a dodge. I would say Brandon Johnson came out as the winner in this one. He kind of seems like, you know, the more aggressive progressive, if that makes sense.
Well, yeah, I, I know exactly why you're saying and what Brandon did do, we, and I'll repeat this, is that uh, he clearly identified himself as the leftiest candidate in the race. And I got to give him credit because, you know, where we're at politically these days, everybody's running from the left. And Brandon say, no, I'm not running for who I am, what I am. I'm just to make it politically convenient. So I must concede you make a good point. You know, you've learned a lot from me over the years, Dr. D. Uh, <laughs> somehow I flipped that into me being smart. Uh, but yeah, it's a good point. Uh, Brandon did, uh, uh, he did identify himself as the one person who was not afraid of his true convictions and beliefs. So yes, you raise a good point. And if we learned anything, Brandon came from a family of 10. That is for sure. <laughs> yes, he came no, from a family. And it seems like Chewy uh, kind of didn't show up to me. I think the Chewy stock went down a little bit. The Brandon stock went up. Okay, let me just say this. Chewy just shows up. He's Chewy. I'm Chewy. I'm the guy with the mustache. You already know me already. D, we're dealing with Chicago voters. Okay, except for the listeners of the Ben Jarofsky show. Not the most sophisticated bunch in the world, all right? I'm just saying, hey, Chewy, call someone a douchebag next time, all right? Let's spice it up a little bit. I think, I'll tell you what, if he comes out swinging in the next debate or forum, whatever, then we know, uh-oh, the internal, internal polls show that Chewy's on the ropes. But I think the, that strategy that he employed yesterday where, eh, I'm just going to ignore the rest of them and rush, you know what I mean, just try not to cause too much controversy. I think that shows that his polls show that he's in first place. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like next week we hear Chewy like, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> like, whoa, he's taking the Trump move. That's cool. There is no Donald Trump in this. Uh, <laughs> again, Vallis is going clearly for the MAGA vote, and so is Willie Wilson. Uh, but there is no Donald Trump. Excuse me. And I will say, I really see Paul Vallis like there is no daily in this race. But I think if there were like, the, you know, the substitute daily, it's Paul Vallis. Absolutely. OK. Paul Vallis was the revenue director for Mayor Daly. Paul Vallis was in charge of the schools. He was the CEO of public schools for Daily. You know, he's a Daily guy. All those old heads out there that are just like, ah, where's my Daily? That's there's your guy right there, Vallis, right? Uh, well, that's his lane. Old white guys. I miss Daily. <laughs> this city under Daily. Okay. Ben, you don't understand. Daily. Yeah, that's Vallis is their guy. Lefties, Brandon Johnson's your guy. And, uh, you know, just ordinary Chicagoans. I don't know. I just want to vote for someone. I don't know. I, I like Chewy. It's his turn. You know, you know that there is a group of Chicagoans. It's like his turn, Chicagoans. You know what I'm saying? It's his turn, Ben. I don't really follow things, but it's his turn. Okay. Anyway, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Illinois, Alton, Illinois without whom this show would be possible. And as Mark Sims, Chewy Garcia, Brandon Johnson, and Lori Lightfoot will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. Woo!